uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Let's read it together. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of our God. You may be seated. Amen. Let's ask God's help as we hear his word this morning. Father, once again, You have spoken, and Lord, we must listen. Help us to understand these words by your Spirit. Give us understanding, enlighten our eyes, our ears, open our hearts to understand what we need to understand today, to strengthen our faith as we walk this life as believers. And Father, I pray for those who may not know you in this room, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today that they would repent of their sins and believe that Jesus is the only way and that he's died on the cross for them and risen again from the dead. Oh, Lord, accomplish your will through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. Last Sunday, we began a new series through Paul's epistle to the Corinthian church. And we covered the first three verses last Sunday. Today we'll begin in verse 4, and Lord willing, we'll get through verse 9 as we anticipate observing the Lord's table together at the conclusion of the service. We began just last Sunday with this new series, and so if you're new to our church, you've come just at the right time, just at the beginning of a new book. Last week we saw in verses 1 to 3 that Paul greets them and gives sort of an introduction he reminds them that they have been that he has been called to be an apostle by the will of God. And in the same way they have been called to be saints as well by that same will of God. And they do not do this alone. They're not called to something alone, but God has called them together to be saints or holy ones. And we said last week every Christian is a saint. That's what the Bible says. Not only with other people in the city of Corinth, but also around the world. Everybody who names the name of Jesus Christ and believes in the gospel. We talked about the importance of a church family and what God is doing even in our own midst in this church. And the church of Corinth was a problem church, to say the least. It, it was a church with many, many issues. And Paul would deal with them in very straight ways and in straight language in this book and letter, and it gets awkward sometimes, but it's so helpful. And what we will see in the book of 1 Corinthians is that Paul gives gospel answers to a problem church. Let's go to verse 4 as Paul continues with his introductory comments to these Corinthian believers. He says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. 
This is how Paul typically begins his letters to the churches in the New Testament. He usually begins by saying how thankful he is for them. Now, Paul has a lot of complaining to do. He has a lot of calling them to task of certain things that need to be corrected in this church. But none of that stops him or prevents him from being thankful for these Corinthians. And probably you have thought of some people who are believers that you find it hard to be thankful for. Am I right? If you can't think of somebody, it's probably you that people find hard to be... I'm just kidding. All right. Well, maybe. I don't know. Um, it, It just goes to show you, if Paul could be thankful for the Corinthians then you could be thankful as well for certain people in in your life who name the name of Christ, but maybe rub you the wrong way or just, you know, they're just bless their heart people. You know what I mean? Um, But he is still thankful for them despite all their problems, all their issues. And even though they're not the people they ought to be, and they're far from it, Paul knows certain things about them to be true, which is why he's thankful to God for them. What are they? One, God has called them to himself by his sovereign grace and election. He has called them to be saints. Jesus has died for them. This is is the bride of Christ. He is thankful for them. They are his church. God's church even says that. This is to to the church of God that is in Corinth. So he's thankful to God. And perhaps that's what we ought to do. Some, sometimes when you think of someone who's very hard to be, you're hard, find hard to be thankful for, the wrong place to start is with them. Because you're always going to find something you can't be thankful for in them, right? And, and uh, we need to switch our focus like Paul does here and not start with the individual, but start with God. I thank God. God. I give thanks to who? My God. He's thankful to God for them. He's not thankful for them. He's not thankful for them or to them. He's thankful to God. And so perhaps we need to start with God when we think of some people in our life that we have a hard time being with or getting along with or, or whatever. We're just so different from, especially maybe in our church community or just believers in general. Um, If you start with that person, you'll always find ways not to be thankful, and you'll fall short in your endeavor. But thinking of God first and focusing on his grace to that person will change your perspective. And I love how Paul begins here with that. I give my thanks to my God. Paul is so God-centered in all of his life and ministry. In all of his writings, it's God-centeredness, just dripping from every verse, from every passage in every book he writes. He's considering first what God has done in them. And perhaps you should also consider your own self. Also your own self and how and what God has done in you and why people need to thank God because of what he's done in you. But why does Paul give thanks? Look at the answer. I give thanks to my God always for you. Always, not sometimes. Always. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. The number one thing he's thankful to these believers 
is that they have found the grace of God. The grace of God has been given towards them. Paul knows who they are. He knows that this is a wild bunch, a sinful bunch. As we said last week, the city of Corinth is probably equivalent to modern-day Las Vegas, right? Sin City. Corinth was the crossroads of different cultures. People who were coming from Rome to the Middle East would pass through Corinth. People moving south and north along the trade route would pass through Corinth. They got everybody and everything in that city. And the people just adopted the different cultures that came in. And sin was, a very, was very um, everywhere in the city of Corinth. And so Paul, knowing who these people were, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, and such were some of you, right? You're not those people anymore. He's thankful to God for them. But the word grace, we need to understand what that means as well. The word grace also means favor, right? It's or kindness. Sometimes people say grace is the unmerited kindness of God, meaning unmerited. We did not earn it right? Kindness, that God has been better to us than we deserve. This is what grace is. It's favor. And you have to remember how we're born. We are born sinners from our mother's womb. We are born underneath the judgment of God. We are born with nobody having to teach us how to sin. We just know how to sin and we do it really well, don't we? We know how to do that from birth because it's in our nature. And our nature is in opposition and rebellion to God. And the fact that God can change his disposition towards us, who we are his enemies, is amazing. We deserve nothing from God but wrath. We deserve nothing from God but justice, holy justice, But God has given grace or favor to the Corinthian church, really to all believers. If you are in Jesus Christ, God has had favor on you, not because of you, but because of Christ. This is why. We are all born the enemies of God. We're all born under God's wrath. But because of Jesus Christ, because of his obedience, because of his sacrifice, God then looks at us because we have placed our faith in Jesus. And then we who were under wrath are now no longer underneath wrath. We who deserved nothing but justice now receive kindness. And it's not because we earned points with God. It's not because we earned bonus years with God or bonus points. It's because God has had mercy. God has had kindness. He has changed his disposition toward us of one being under wrath to now being kind or in grace to us, giving us what we do not deserve, salvation, a relationship with him, righteousness, eternity, when, with eternal life. And this is the message of the Bible. And Paul's not just saying this about the Corinthians because he's just so thankful because he knows who they once were. And he spent 18 months with them when he was in Corinth. And he, he, he learned who they were. He shared Christ with them. He saw them in their worst 
parts of their life and saw them repent and turn to Jesus. But I thank my God always for you, Corinthians. Why? Because of the grace, the kindness that God gave you in Jesus, something you did not deserve. This is something that Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, 36, Jesus summarizes here, John summarizes the teachings of Jesus to Nicodemus in that chapter. It's very plain and simple. This is what it says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Right? That's the truth. That's a very simple verse to share with anybody. If you want to have eternal life, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who do not believe, look what it says. The wrath of God, what's that word? Remains. Meaning what? Remains, meaning it was already there. For something to remain, meaning it just doesn't come when you die or when you sin, but it is already there. It remains on them because we are guilty from our mother's womb. Like David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born guilty in our father Adam. We have inherited his sinful nature. But here it is. If you want the wrath of God, the wrath of God is, what's another way to say wrath? It's the righteous and right anger of God. God gets angry? Yes, you better believe it. See, to be angry is not a sin. You could be angry and do not sin. The scripture actually commands us to be angry and do not sin. God is angry in his holy justice according to his character and his nature and his attributes. And he rightfully and justly distributes wrath on rebellious sinners. And God is not wrong for doing that. God never does wrong. God can only do good. And God exhibiting wrath on sinners is good. And here's a simple truth. If you want to have the wrath of God remain on you, then reject Jesus Christ and the gospel. If you want to have that wrath be removed from you and have eternal life, then believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 say something as well. Paul says to the Romans, But God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, we were still sinners, we were still under God's wrath, Christ died for us. Isn't that beautiful? Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. Yeah. What is grace? Grace is to be removed from the wrath of God and then to be in the kindness and the grace of God. Look what Paul also says to the Colossian church in Colossians 1.13. He, speaking of Jesus, has delivered us from what? The domain of darkness and transferred us to what? The kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is why Paul is thankful, what? To God. It's not the Corinthians did anything to get this salvation. The Corinthians did nothing to earn it. He knows that God, by his grace and his good pleasure, looked down at people that rightfully deserved his anger and his wrath and his judgment, that didn't deserve to breathe another second. 
right? Because the fact that any sinner lives another second cursing God is by God's mercy that they live. And this is us as well, friends. This is us as well. By God's mercy, by God's grace. But when we believe, when we trust in Christ, we go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And that's what it means to have grace in your life. And this is why Paul is thankful for these Corinthians. God has called them to be saints to himself. They're his people. They're not who they used to be. They're not all that they should be. But Paul is thankful that God has had mercy on them. And God has done this by his own free will and his own holy character because of the finished work of Christ. God doesn't have favor on you because of you. He has favor on you because of Jesus. Jesus obeyed when even we didn't. Jesus died even though we deserve death and we couldn't pay that debt back. Christ has done it. So then we must ask then, is grace then just about being saved? Is, it, is that all grace is about? No. It's so much more than that. So much more than that. So much that the Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, that from him we have received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Grace is much more than being saved. And this is what prompted me about, oh, seven years ago or so to write that book called Grace Upon Grace. If you haven't read it yet, we have free copies out in the Welcome Center. Please get them. It's a journey of why the grace of God is important for the Christian life. Forty devotional chapters. Please pick that up and read it if you haven't already. Is it just about being saved? No. There are benefits to grace. Did you know that? There are benefits to being in the favor of God. There are benefits to having his kindness displayed in our life. And Paul explains it in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Again, this is the middle of a sentence, but I'll just go back and read it. Just stay in verse 5. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5. That, now he explains how that grace manifests itself. Explain that grace, Paul. That in every way you were enriched in him. In all speech and all knowledge as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the benefit of grace? You are rich. And you're saying, Dan, have you seen my bank account? <laughs> Doesn't matter. I don't need to see it. Because you know why? The poorest believer in the slums of India is richer than the tycoon on Wall Street. Being rich in Christ goes beyond material blessings and physical blessings in this life. They are blessings that cannot have a price tag. They are blessings that God has given to us by His grace as we await the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ at His second coming. This is something that is so amazing. In every way, you Corinthians, by His grace, you were enriched. You ever have been, I, I love coffee, in case you didn't know. Um, oh, I guess you did know that. 
Um, you know, I, I go different phases. Sometimes I like my coffee darker. Sometimes I like it sweeter. Whatever, right? Put a little bit more cream, right? I don't really use sugar in my coffee anymore, but put a little bit more cream to sweeten it up. I like hazelnut coffee, okay? When I add more of that to the coffee, what, the, what, what am I doing? I'm enriching it. I'm adding towards it. To me, it tastes better like that. For you, you're like, black coffee is the only way, Dan. I feel sorry for you. I really do. (laughs) But I'm enriching the coffee by adding to it this creamer. Or if you're making cookies or a recipe and you're adding extra sugar or extra spice or whatever, what are you doing to that? You are adding to something that is already there. When God saves us by his grace, grace is not just a ticket to go to heaven. Grace is a way to live every day of the Christian life. God gives you grace upon grace, and he enriches your life spiritually with the Holy Spirit and his word, and you are rich. This is what he's trying to tell them. And the reason he's trying to tell them, I'll tell you in a second, actually. Let's save that. The word enrich literally means To cause to become wealthy. That's what the Greek word means here. To cause to become wealthy. Of course, Paul is not saying monetary wealth. If he did, he would say, God has given you big houses and big bank accounts. That's not what it's about. Because this is universal around the world for all believers, whether you're in the slums of India or in Beverly Hills. It doesn't matter. Every Christian is rich in the same way. And he's reminding them of this. And I just can't help but think of what Paul says to the Ephesians. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, I think he kind of goes a little deeper with the Ephesians when he talks about these enrichment of grace in their life. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul says, Blessed, I'm just going to read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ, look at this, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Believer, there is nothing withheld from you, spiritually speaking. You are enriched. You have been given every spiritual blessing. Paul says to the, to, to the Corinthians that in every way you were enriched in him. Every way. Here Paul says to the Ephesians... He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians, you are rich. And then Paul tells them some of these riches. Listen, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That's that word that means very generously. He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth in him we have obtained an inheritance 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Every spiritual blessing, Paul just mentioned some. What did Paul mention? He mentioned that spiritual blessings in the heavenly places involves a doctrine of election, that God has chosen you. That God has chosen you unto himself. That God has called you to holiness. God has called you to be blameless. Think about that. Think about your life and the different sins you've committed over all the course of your lifetime. But if you're a Christian, one day when you stand before God, you will stand there blameless. The word blameless, someone has once said, is like um, cooking with Teflon. A Teflon pan or pot, nothing sticks to it, right? Or supposedly, <laughs> right? After time, I think it loses its Teflonness, if that's a word. <laughs> nothing sticks to the Teflon pan or pot, and it just all falls off. That's what the word blameless means. When we stand before God, we will be presented blameless. If there's any accusations from the evil one that come our way, guess what? Off. They don't stick. Why? Jesus has paid it all. All. Every sin. Every sin I've ever committed. Past, present, future. He died for me in full. He says, it is finished. He has predestined you. He has adopted you. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has given you an inheritance. And then to top it all off like the cherry on top, he has given you his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance. The word guarantee there simply means a good analogy would be earnest money deposit. When you buy a house or you're under contract for a piece of real estate, you have to put down a deposit, right? So that the seller think, knows you're serious. This is what the word that Paul uses. When he saved you so that you know that God is serious about forgiving you and saving you and bringing you to heaven when you die, guess what? He has given you his Holy Spirit as an earnest deposit. He means it and he will save you and he will keep his promised. Christian, you have been enriched by the grace of God your entire lifetime as a believer. And therefore, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. We'll get to that in a second. This is what it means to be rich. You are wealthy in grace. Now, Paul has a point for saying some of this. And he's going somewhere with all of the things that he's saying. Look at verse 5 again here. He has enriched you. That in every way you were enriched in him. And he uses two specific words here. In all speech and all knowledge. Now Paul uses these two words that will basically summarize two categories of spiritual gifts. Because another way that God enriches you is that he has gifted you spiritually. Every believer has a spiritual gift. 
It's been given to you by the sovereign plan and will of God. And that gift is not for your betterment. It's not for your enjoyment. You use that gift in the body of Christ, meaning the church, family, for the benefit of others and the glory of God. Every single believer has a spiritual gift. Here, Paul uses two categories of these spiritual gifts, speech and knowledge. He's probably referring here in the first century when the word of God was not complete. They still had prophetic visions and prophetic utterances. And the Corinthians were very gifted in that. And Paul also uses the word knowledge here, which is to be interpreted as gifts of interpretation or special understanding from God. And there's different categories of spiritual gifts underneath each one of these. Now, the reason Paul is saying this, spoiler alert, it comes later in the book, all right, is this. The Corinthians were using and abusing their spiritual gifts. They were using their gifts selfishly. They were using it for their own betterment. And they were wanting more than what God had already given them. What's Paul trying to say to them? You are rich. God has already given you everything that you could imagine. These things are not for you. They're for other people. And this is something that Greeks really had a hard time with. Corinth is a city in Greece. And the Greek culture valued oratory, oratory skills. And, of course, wisdom. Think of Aristotle and Socrates. The wisdom and philosophy of that area and that culture was great. So when the Greeks start interpreting uh, uh, prophecies and having special utterances, this is why Paul says later, knowledge puffs up. Why? Because they think they're all that in a bag of chips. And they think they're all special. They think that they're all awesome. But he's saying this is remind them, do you know how good God has been to you? He has enriched you by grace. These gifts are not because you're that special. These gifts are not because you earned it or deserved it. God has given you these gifts and you are rich is what he's trying to tell them. We'll get to that more later. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we kind of see where he's going with that. Let, let's just read that really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he, he, he's kind of spanking them here a little bit in chapter 4. And he says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you become kings. And would you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. That's the little preview of what's coming in chapter 4. You are boasting that you can do this and you can do that and you can do that for God. Do you not realize that everything you have is from God? So why are you using and abusing these things that are God's gifts to you? More on that later. But that's just the context of what he says there about speech and knowledge. Look at verse 6. God has enriched them with all speech and knowledge as they wait the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking, listen to this, and any gift as you await the revealing 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony about Christ is, of course, the gospel. What is the testimony? That Jesus died, was buried, and has risen again. That's why Paul will say in chapter 15, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, that Christ died, was buried, and risen again according to the scriptures. That's the testimony of Christ. Being confirmed among them, meaning it was established in them, that they believed the testimony about Jesus, that they became born again. And he's equating that with their reception of these spiritual gifts. Again, he's pointing them back to grace. You're boasting about having all these gifts, but do you not know that it all comes from a relationship with Jesus and God's sovereign decree of how you're doing this? And that you are not lacking. I could just imagine some of the Corinthian believers moping and complaining about, I wish I was like sister so-and-so over there. You see what she can do for God? (laughs) I can only do this. And Paul's saying, what's wrong with you? You were enriched and you don't lack anything. You don't have any lack of anything to live the Christian life and serve God right now. You, Christian, yes, you, Northwest Baptist Church, you have been enriched in him. And you may be envious of somebody else's talents or giftings. Don't be. That is sinful. That is sinful want and pride. Be grateful for what God has done in you, how God is using you, and do it. Because you don't lack anything if you use what God has given you for his glory. It's for the benefit of the body together. These gifts are not for any one believer. They're for the church together. And the word lacking there means missing or falling short or to be in short supply. No, a true Christian is one who has everything they need from God. Everything, spiritually speaking. Everything. There's not one Christian on earth who has something missing from God in order to live the Christian life. Not a single one. Not at all. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Paul says, or Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things. That's everything, I think, right? All things that pertain to life and godliness. What's Peter saying? Christian, you have everything you need. His power has given it to you. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, which he has granted to us by his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Christian, don't you dare say, I don't have enough to be a strong and growing Christian. Don't you dare say that I can't serve God in my local church because of this. That's rubbish. You're saying that God has not enriched you or that God has shorted you when you say that. What we often do when we say such things, it comes from a point of envy and pride of, or comparison to other people. 
And God does not want us to compare ourselves to anybody else. He has gifted different people in different ways for the betterment of his body, for his glory. I think sometimes when we desire greater things than what God has given us, it's because we want some, we want some part of that glory for ourselves. We want a pat on the back. We want some praise. We want some this, that, or the other. The whole body comes together and the whole body serves a purpose. All the different parts of the body have a different function. My ears don't smell. My nose can't hear. My eyes can't eat. But you know what? None of them are complaining. Because they all know their purpose. And they all know how they function together. And this is how the body of Christ is also assembled by God. They're all important. They all matter. Someone has once said, the most important light in your house is not the great big chandelier in your entryway or whatever, the most brightest light in your house. The most important light in your house could be the little night light that keeps you from stubbing your toe in the middle of the night. Different arrays of brightness, but different purposes and all important. Here the Corinthians were using and abusing their gifts, and Paul will have to set them straight on how they're to be used in the body. But Paul says, you lack nothing. Stop complaining about how God is using you. Stop complaining about, I don't have much to offer. That is not biblical. You need to repent of that and know how God has used you and use it. Use it. And Christian, as Peter says, God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Think about this. How are you enriched by God? God has given you his word. I, I, I mean, do you ever stop and consider that? That we have the word of God in our hands? Do you know how many people around the world that the Bible is not yet translated into their language? Oh, Christian, you are rich. You are rich in him. God has given you his Holy Spirit. God has given you a local body of Christ to belong to. This church may not be all that you want it to be. We may not have all the bells and whistles of other churches, nor do we want to. But we have each other. We have the Word of God. And we have the Spirit of God. And we're a family together. This is what makes a church. And that's what makes you rich in Him. Because God has given you everything you need to live this life obediently and to grow you and to nurture you and for you to flex your muscles and serve him in ways he's designed for you. We have the grace of God, the gospel of God, the word of God, the gifts of God, the people of God, the family of God. We are rich beyond compare. We are rich beyond compare. And he says to these Corinthians in verse 8, that Jesus, who has enriched you with all these things, with his grace, he will sustain you to the end. Oh, what a blessing that is. Who keeps me faithful to the end? Christ. Who keeps me saved to the end? Christ. He holds me fast. Amen. Who keeps me guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Who keeps me blameless to the end? Not me. I keep messing up. 
You keep messing up. But Jesus says, I've already paid for that. He and she is mine. I'm going to keep them to the end. They're not going to fall off. They're not going to go by the wayside. Why? Because verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called. And here's that word again. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's saying, but do you think God's going to neglect these promises to you? Do you think that God's going to help you get started and say, see you later. If you fall down, sorry, you're on your own. No. Why? Because he has made you rich. You don't have to be underneath the thumb of any sin in your life. You don't have to be surrendering to any desire of your flesh. You don't have to say, I was born like this. No, because you've been born again by the Spirit of God and has overcome the desires and temptations of the evil one through the power of Jesus Christ. You don't have to say, I can't serve God. Why? Because God has gifted you by his Holy Spirit and has given you a purpose to belong to a family. Stop believing these these idiotic lies. I'm just going to say it. Because they're lies from the pits of hell to keep you down in your Christian life. And Paul is reminding these believers who they are. And these Corinthians, you would think they would have fallen by the wayside. But even them, God will sustain to the end. Even them, God will hold guiltless on the day of judgment. Even them, God is called to belong. Even them. And if he has called them, he has called us. Let us praise our God together. For we are rich. We are rich and we lack nothing. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider these words and head into a time of remembrance of the Lord's table, help us to remember the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to remember your grace, how your Favor has been bestowed on us to change your disposition towards us who once were your enemies, but now are your children. Not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of the faithfulness and obedience of Jesus Christ, who has come to live in our place, die in our place as a substitute, who has risen from the dead. Father, we are now commanded to remember him as we are instructed in your word until he returns. We will keep doing this until you return. May your people remember Jesus Christ, his broken body and his shed blood. May you nurture our faith in this moment and fill us with the spiritual presence of Jesus Christ. Fill us with the spirit of, your God, of God as well to repent of sin, to confess of sin in this moment, and to turn to the only hope of the gospel. I pray for, Lord, those in this room who do not know you, who cannot partake of these things with us because they don't know you. Father, may you draw them to repentance. May you convict them of sin. May you show them the beauty of Jesus Christ today. And may they turn to you to be saved. Help us, God, to know that we are rich and that we have everything we need to live a life of godliness. We don't have to cave. We don't have to surrender. We have Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.